two guys across the street, had nothing to do with me, come walking across the street, come walking in to, you know, the protective veil that we have on the client. So I step out and the guy says to me, I hate effing cops. I go, what the hell does that have to do with me? For over 260 episodes, Dwayne Brummett and Ali Albarigo have been sharing how to take your martial arts school to the next level. Welcome to another edition of SchoolOwnerTalk.com. Now here's your host, Dwayne and Ali. All right, hello again, Dwayne Brummett uh, here with Ali Albarigo, SchoolOwnerTalk.com. Ali, great to be with you again today, sir. And uh, we have got a phenomenal interview uh, with the uh, with the famous, world famous, and I'm not trying to kiss up to you, I, I really mean this, world famous Tom Petiri. So, uh, uh, Ali, fill in the blanks before we begin. Yeah, I mean, uh, you, you already kind of said a lot. It's true. You know, first of all, I want to welcome every one of our listeners to Martial Arts School Owner Talk. And um, I'm really happy today because uh, Tom and I met each other, I mean, probably in the early 2000s. And uh, it's kind of weird. And he may say this too, but we met and kind of hit it off right away. Like I feel comfortable with you and uh, I liked you right away. Maybe it's because you're from Jersey. I'm from New York, you know, that kind of thing. But uh, it was great to meet you. And ever since we see each other at events and we stay in touch and it's been awesome to develop a friendship with you. But for the listeners who, who don't know, but most of them do. And by the way, this is the most request we've ever gotten to get on our, our page is when they found out Tom was going to be a guest and they weren't part of our page. People are like, how much do I pay? How can I get on? Like they, they really wanted to be with him on there. And I'm like, it's just, you just come on and we'll let you in the group. That's all. You just got to be a school owner. So, um, but Tom, you know, he's, he's built a multi-million dollar brand. Um, he's known for his um, CDT program, compliance direction takedown, which I was a uh, a registered member of and uh, got licensing under him. And he would send his people out and come out to my schools. And um, then he also has LRT, last resort tactics and a host of other things. He's been a professional bodyguard for world renowned celebrities. I remember when we were at the super show in Vegas, he was Chuck Norris's bodyguard at that event, which was pretty awesome. And um, so without further ado, I wanna introduce Tom Pichiri and welcome to our group, sir, uh, having you here. And I'm just super honored to have you on the show with us. So thanks for being here. First of all, thank you for having me. Um, I don't do many of these things, but number one, when I first met Ali, I'll tell a story quick, Dwayne. Uh, you know, Ali and I were speaking, and the first thing I said to Ali is, man, you look like you should be on Hollywood. He goes, what do you mean? I go, you got that look. And then a couple of weeks later, I saw him on TV. <laughs> He's doing some show. So, uh, but listen, you guys are doing something good. You do it for free. The industry is hurting. Um, I'm like you, I'm trying to give back. So anything I could do to help, just ask away. Yeah. Thank you very much. And I remember, uh, I, I remember meeting you at, uh, one of the NAPMA shows back in, I want to say it was either 1999 or 2000. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And yeah. And so I just saw you guys doing your demo out there and, and honestly, when I saw it, you know, it was a CDT demo and I saw it and I was like, this is choreographed. Like these people are just going down. Come on. And I, I don't know if you remember this. I don't, uh, but I, I, I stopped um, one of your, your guys at the end after everything was done in the hallway. And I said, look, I said, I just, I got to feel it. And boy, did I feel it. And I was like, okay, I'm a believer. So that's when I signed up to uh, be a part of the CDT team uh, and come out and do the training with you guys. So that, that was, that was really neat. And then of course, you know, when I, 
when I went to that training, I was super intimidated with you because you are a very straightforward individual. Um, I was very young at the time and, uh, you know, uh, just, it, it was, uh, it, it was nice to have you be straightforward, but then it was kind of intimidating, uh, that you were like totally serious. And I never knew when you were joking, you know, and I'm sure at some point you were, but I just didn't know how to take you. Uh, but it's been a wonderful, wonderful ride getting to know you throughout the years. So I appreciate you being here, sir. And listen, watching you grow all these years and following your career, I mean, you've been one of the good guys. You follow the code, which many of people in the arts do not follow the code. I mean, so it's a credit to what you've done and what you're doing. So no worries. Awesome. Thank you. And half the time I am joking, but you can't tell because, you know, as a bodyguard, you got to be expressionless. You right. Know, so, you know, and yeah. one guy said to me at Napa, he goes, why are you so straightforward? I go, well, um, in protection, do you think I got time to talk? Right. I said, you say it, you do it, you go. That's it. So what I'm what I'm hearing you say, and I don't even know if we want to go down this path, but sure. um, from what I'm hearing you say is that uh, sending in the um, sending in the social worker rather than the uh, police officer may not be a good idea. Well, listen, in any aspect, you have to have in martial arts, the yin and the yang. You know, I teach as a bodyguard confrontational avoidance, yet I'm a reactive mechanism in highly trained, skilled guys like yourselves. So we're staying in an area that you have to teeter totter between, you know, what you say and what you do. You know, people don't realize this. Protection guys really have no higher law than anybody else. I am a licensed agency. My guys are licensed under me. We have to avoid before we confront. But when you watch movies, they confront and never avoid. You know, so it's mixed signals in a lot of things. You know, I'm sure you tell your students, if you can walk away, you walk away. Yet there's other people that preach, you know, you know, one punch, one dead, one kick, one dead. You know, those philosophies. Again, in all aspects of business, there's always going to be convoluted messages. Yeah. And, and Tom, maybe you could, we started off on the self-defense aspect and we'll roll into sure. um, some of the business side, but can you make some uh, quick analogies or points or your observation of um, a lot of the martial arts that you see out here and the reality-based self-defense systems versus sport? Um, I think that everyone thinks that if you could fight in MMA, you could defend yourself against a knife or you could defend yourself in the street or there's so many different variables when it comes to real street uh, self-defense. Right. And what's some of your advice on that? Because being, you know, that, uh, you know, that whole aspect of it is not only about punching someone one, one punch, one kill and, and so on. Okay. First of all, let, let's bring this to reality. There is no one system that is foolproof or the ultimate system. My proof is, is simple. If there was, we'd all be in it. There'd be no other martial arts. Right now, there's over 3,000 different styles of martial arts. So if you're doing the aspect of training people to read it, see it, avoid it, that's the smartest thing. Right. Unless you've ever made, met bad in a bad situation, and I have, you got to be worse than them in order to survive. And good people don't like to be bad. You know, so I, I don't like the message of, you know, this is the best art, this is the best that. I like the message that, you know, you go to 
Allie's school or Dwayne's school, they're excellent instructors because instructors just don't teach the arts. They teach the whole aspect of life. Right. You know, so so the self-defense view of what's going out, MMA guys are tough. I mean, uh, you know, Mike Constantino, one of my top guys, trained the Miller brothers and some of those guys in the UFC, tough as nails. But when those guys wanted to open their own schools, they were looking for self-defense training. How do you take away a gun? What do you do against the night? What about multi-man attack? What about third-party entry? You know, so it's really what they stay or what window you stay in. Think about martial arts as a hotel. It doesn't just have one window looking out. It's got many windows and many floors and you can't do it all. You know, Dwayne mentioned CDT. When I started CDT and he said a key thing, people thought it was a joke. They said it didn't work. They said it wasn't cool. So Joe Lewis came to mind. You know, Joe, God rest his soul. Joe is one of the toughest guys I ever met. And he walked into my school. Mike Swain was there. David Wall was there. And Joe said, I'm here to see if you're real or not. Joe stayed the five days. He was a CDT master instructor. He was a good guy in exchange knowledge. You want to go head to head with somebody, put on gear with Joe Lewis. Right. You know? right. So, so the proof of the pudding is anybody doing anything is going to get tested. It's going to happen. You know, you're somebody who had to walk into your school and say, hey, Dwayne, is what you do, you know, work or is this real? The key is if you're confident and you have the ability, it's fine. I think self-defense is watered down in the aspect of people are preaching certain things that are just not right. You know, instructors are becoming liable now. You tell somebody if they're being grabbed by the arm and you punch them in the throat, you're going to have a civil suit. I don't care who you are because it's not justified force. Right. You know, and I get the other thing people say, yeah, I'd rather be tried by 12 than carried by six. When the history of the martial arts, not many people have been carried by six. Right. A lot have been tried by 12. Right. You know, you know so, so I think we have to get smart. I think people are doing it. They're getting purity in their, in their system. They're running their own races. I say, I don't look at my competition. I don't even care about my competition. Yeah. They focus on the front goal. You know, I meant what you did, Allie. I mean, your system is unique. You move in a very great style. Your students are good guys like, you know, Jeff Lovering and, one of your friends, yeah. friends of mine, I mean, his guys are hardcore, Rich Faustini, yeah. Rich Rossini, you know, these guys that are out there. Work out with a guy like Mike Swain. He looks like, you know, apple pie America. And the right. guy's tough as nails. Right. But the unique part of all of them, including yourselves, is you don't have the bravado. You're not looking for any trouble. Right. So I think with this world being volatile, we have to teach people more to be confident in walking than staying. Well, yeah. and you know, look, we've got, we did a podcast on that where we talked about that we really believe that the martial arts is the last line of defense with regards to teaching those type of things, not just how to protect yourself, but actually how to function and be a stand-up person in society anymore. Oh, I agree. I, I think the martial arts has evolved and it evolved as an educational block in life skills. That's what I really believe. And there's nothing wrong with that. Yeah, I, I, I also am quite interested in getting your take on, um, uh, you know, I don't know if you use the same terminology, but people like police officers look for what they call grooming, right? When when they're against an assailant and the way they posture, the way they move, if they reach into their jacket, they, you know, they're feeling for their own weapons, they're setting the opponent up. 
Um, I don't think that enough people are trained in the visualization of knowing when confrontation may go off or not go off and how to move their way out or talk their way out of a situation. What's your thoughts on that? Because I know CBT was about, a lot of it was about awareness, knowing what you're up against and, you know, not, you know, someone reaches for their wallet, you don't just punch them in the face, right? You got to make sure that you, you know what's going on. So what do you, what's your thoughts on that as well? Well, it's a great point. In, in the last 12 years, you, you, you mentioned CDT. CDT is known in law enforcement security as compliance direction takedown. In corporate America, in hospitals, in school districts, it's crisis de-escalation training. Mm-hmm. Right? Total, totally different. The readability that you talk about is hard for experts. You know, when somebody blades out, is their shirt over one side? Is their hip hanging down so they wear a weapon? Where's their hand in, in relationship to their pockets? And a, a good, highly skilled guy can miss those things. Right. So the biggest thing I talk about is distancing. Understand personal space and what people have the right to. If I'm walking toward you, Ali, and you're walking toward me, you know, I don't have the right to walk through you. Right. You know, so if I step aside now, if you step to the same side, now you're blocking my egress. That's different. Now it's going into, do I avoid or confront? You know, so I deal a lot in personal space issues. Are people in your space or are they in your face? Two right. different things. I talk about how the oxygen level changes and the body heat exchanges and the, the tunnel vision kicks in and the ear and canal shrink and all that stuff. So people understand that fear is in every one of us. Right. right. can channel out of every one of us, if we understand how the body changes. Right. So I think adding that to a school and confrontational avoidance, situational awareness is great. I just don't think people take the time to do it, or maybe they don't understand it. Yeah. And I, and if I can comment, I, I sure. tell my students all the time about these things. And I'd say probably four percent of them are really listening they don't care i always say to them listen if you work at 60 percent in the dojo and you're training at 60 percent out in the street you're going to probably perform at like 10 percent if that you know because so i and and to them you know they're not worried like back when i trained i you know i wanted to know how to defend myself that's all i cared about and i would get in fights real fights so um it, it i could practice it nowadays i think people are so protected they feel like they're so protected against physical injury that they don't take it serious enough to train the way they should. Well, when you have to teach, when you have to teach a a student how to grab somebody in a headlock, because they've never had a noogie done on them before. Right. I mean, really, right. I mean, how many of you guys have to do that? Especially if you're, if it's kids. Well, I think the hardest part nowadays is teaching a person how to use the ro- the other hand. Like they're using their left and I say, use your other hand and they still can't figure that out. <laughs> I'm going, you have two choices. There's 50% chance you're going to get it right. And they're still not getting it. So I think there's a lot being missed today in just the t- cognizant awareness, right? And, and being able to figure things out. So uh, Dwayne, did you have any any specific questions on the self-defense area and 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 uh, you know, before we move on to business? The well, yeah, I mean, I kind of know the difference, but uh, just for everybody else, especially if this is the first time they've ever been, uh, you know, privy to listen to you is what's the difference between, uh, you know, CDT, LRT. And then even before you get into that, um, I know that your, your base background for yourself is Humdo, correct? Yeah. So, so I started my world in Aiki Jiu-Jitsu. All right. I moved on to regular Jiu-Jitsu. And then I met my instructor that taught a, a 
I'll call it a hybrid system called Hamdo. So it's a different branch. You know, you take a more aggressive hop keto, you take a more direct Fernando and you put it together. This is my concept of it, but it was very violent and very direct. No doubt. And, you know, I've only trained 19 black belts in my life. I still train privately people that takes them a good six, seven, eight years. I still go old school and they pay the price. Like I paid the price. Mm -hmm. Um, But that being said, I knew I wanted to be a protection guy. I was born the bodyguard. That's a book I'm writing now. And it's true. I knew it. I wanted to do it. And I knew that fit my style. Like other things fit other people's style. I think what people don't understand about self-defense is the other guy. If you meet a guy on the street and he's been born and raised, let's take Ali, we're, you know, from the tri-state area. You meet a guy that since he's 10 years old, he's hurting people. And now you meet him at 25 and you're a martial art trained person, but you're in a perfect environment doing against somebody else. And he's in an unperfect environment. He will come to kill you. Right. And his thought process is, I don't fear jail. I don't care about a house because I don't even own one. He goes, you're in my way and you're going down. Right. People don't understand that. That's why I believe the confrontational avoidance is key. There's nothing wrong with moving out or leaving. But if right. cornered, you better, you know, I always say the only way bad beats good is when good becomes worse. You know, that right. means you got to click the switch. Um right. So I don't think we address enough of the adversary. You know, he throws a right punch. We do this block. We do this. Well, what if he just throws everything at once? What if he picks up a garbage can or or a bottle or, you know, and all these things. And that's where self-defense came in. And that's where I saw the void in the market. I said, let me create a controlling aspect for law enforcement security. And that was low level with CDT. People said it wouldn't work. They said it wasn't cool. It became a multi-million dollar company because I stay in that little window. I don't go to people's school to try to change their black belts. I don't even care what they teach. If this fits their mold and they want to teach control or avoidance, it's for them. If it's not, so be it. You know, uh, I think martial arts is a smorgasbord. We pick what we want. I believe that. So. So then, yeah. uh, then you moved from CDT then, and then created LRT for what reason? Actually, Last Resort Tactics was created for the federal marshals in, in, for their teams unit. And then David Wall asked me at Century, he goes, you know, could you show the other side of you? So I did an LRT three-day training session, you know, and had great people like Ernie Reyes and, the, you know, both junior and senior, Tony Thompson, you know, and all these people coming. So, so we had a lot of fun with them. They got to see the other side, um, but it conflicted the brand. And that's what we're going to talk about a little while. CDT is, is my passion in the aspect to give back to law enforcement security. Now I'm in corporate America with the crisis de-escalation. I like that. I don't want to teach the high level no more. I did accept a couple of military contracts and I do them for free because uh, if I can bring some of these young guys and girls home, you know, because of my skills, you know, relaying them, then I did something, you know what I mean? So I'm sure all you guys do the same thing. You give back. Yeah. 
Yeah. So, so uh, I want to tell you a quick, funny, quick, funny story. My daughter had, uh, when she was in high school, she had a, a small little 90 pound girlfriend that had a big mouth on her and she would mouth off to everyone. And she mouthed off to a, uh, a football player who was left back two years. So he's probably like 18 or 20 at the time. And um, he literally beat the living crap out of her. So I, you know, I said to my daughter, I mean, broke her ribs, you know, put her in the hospital just because he had no concern. So I would say to my daughter, you see, this could happen. And, and my daughter says, yeah, but I don't talk nasty to people. I said, yeah, but it could still happen. She goes, no, I'll just tell them I don't want to fight. <laughs> and so we had an ongoing joke, her and I, I we bow in before sparring and I go, I, I don't want to fight, you know, and then you could walk away. And I'm like, this is where re reality hits the road when you don't know when it all hits the fan, it's going to happen. And I love what you said, because uh, sometimes people just mentally can't even conceive the concept of like someone trying to kill them or not caring. You know, everyone thinks they're protected by the laws. And um, I think that that's getting it's getting crazy out there now because people are on, on edge. You know, and everyone like my daughter's learning how to drive. Every time I take her out, someone has road rage because like, she's driving slow, shooting the finger at her, zooming around her and trying to cut her off. I'm like, Yara, this is what the world's all about. Like, be careful. Oh, no, no, no. It's just you New Yorkers. That's yeah, what it's about. Oh, it, it could be. It, it, yeah. But let me tell you what. Oh, actually, one guy literally went up on the sidewalk and cut in front of us. He was from Maryland and it, we were just at a light stopped and he just wanted to be ahead of her. Um, so it's great. People are on such edge. So we have to be aware. It's very scary. And, so and you say it's true. I was in Vegas on a protection job and two guys across the street had nothing to do with me. Come walking across the street, come walking in to, you know, the protective veil that we have on the client. So I step out and the guy says to me, I hate effing cops. I go, what the hell does that have to do with me? Right. He goes, what are you? I go, I'm a bodyguard. I'm not a cop. Oh, all right, you're cool. And they walk yeah. away. So they came across the street to start because they thought I was law enforcement. Law enforcement has, you know, I feel bad for them. And I come from a family of police officers. Me, me too. I mean, it, it's ridiculous. Of it what really we're going is. Through. And, and the things going on in society now, like, you know, they, they stopped the Dr. Seuss book, oh my God. you know, and, and, and you know, so-and-so did this company that... Well, we could look at everything in the we, we want and we could say everything's racial. Right. But we have gotten weak and other countries are laughing at us. Yeah. And that's a yeah. Fact. yeah, it's true. My friends are from the UK and they said, man, man, you guys need to stop being so emotionally attached to everything. Like you're so sensitive. I go, I get it. I mean, everybody's offended over something. I can't stand it. Like in every TV show you watch is always inclusive. You know, every actor, if it's a, a Chinese person married to a Spanish girl, lesbian or male, like it, it's trying to find a blend to try to help everyone to be happy who's watching the show. And it's just not like real anymore. You know, it's like, it doesn't, where does that happen? Yeah. So anyway, so let's talk quickly and because this call is going quick. And by the way, we have a really great following. Some people are on here. Of course, Jeff Lovering's on. Um, Alan, uh, I hope I'm saying his name right. Lugier. Luby. And James Fry. These are all people that were yours, right? That wanted to come in. And yeah, they are. They're all brothers. Yeah. Jonathan Stroud uh, is on here. So a lot of other people hitting the like button. So it's exciting to have you here. So tell me about what you think because uh, you've built a brand, you know, and um, what do you think school owners, just looking from the outside in, what do you think as a brand builder, um, people right. at martial arts schools need to I could say multiple brand builders, right, not right. just exactly. single. Yeah. yeah. 
Yeah. So what do you think would be good advice to uh, a school owner on how to build their brand and, and maybe quickly just explain what a brand is to them, you know, so that they understand it because they think maybe their style Taekwondo is their brand. But okay. So. so, so first of all, everybody, you know, has a unique way of teaching. And because of that, it, let's say Taekwondo or jujitsu or whatever, you could still make your own brand out of that. Now, the problem I see with the brands in martial arts is there's mixed messages. There's no purity of message. You have to have one message and you have to stick with that message. So one message, one voice. All right. You can't this week say, you know, this, that, and the other, and something new comes out and you change it and you're doing this, you know, and you go from there and there, you know, a brand. And, and you bring up a couple guys, James Fry out of Canada has a brand. He's purity of what he does. He does some fitness, but he does a good aspect of self-defense. Jeff Lovering has a brand. He sticks to jujitsu. He does other things, CDT things, but he sticks to the brand of jujitsu. So I think people first have to establish what they want to be known for. Second, they got to understand what they're good at teaching. Third is they got to keep the curriculum from A to Z specific and geared to the mass population of their school. They can branch off and have kickboxing or add, you know, fitness classes or add, you know, child safety or whatever. But the heart and soul has to be, you know, when I hear about this person, this is what I hear. It should be the same message next door as it is next state as it is at a convention. It can't be, oh, didn't last year you do jujitsu and this year you're doing Krav and next year you're doing Sistema. It doesn't work. It, right. it, what it does is it ends up destroying the process of the school. Now, the market is very, very small and shrinking by the day in the martial arts community. So brand, brand purity has to remain. You have to advertise what you do best and stay to that. Even when you don't have the money to advertise, you still must do that. Because when you don't advertise and you're not in the public eye, people think you're hurting. All right. The key is always keep your name out there. When you start class and end class, there should be a message. If that message is based on family orientation or being a good student or whatever, that message should stay all the time so the parents get the message, it grows the brand. Right. You know, so the key aspect of it, you don't have to be Coke or Pepsi. All right, that's a national brand, but you could sure be something within your community that people say that school is known for this, this, and this. You should send them there. Again, the competition has increased, the market has shrunk which now only the smart business people were survived. Mark my words on that. Now, let me clarify, because I was a great, I, you wrote that the industry of our population is shrinking by the day. And you said, competi- do you think competition has uh, increased and that's why um, it's shrinking by the day? Or is it just because uh, people are no longer interested? Or is it because people don't know how to get their, the word out there? Okay, so so let me give you some true statistics. This comes from a CDT network. All right, I have a little over 3,500 CDT instructors throughout the country. All right, the first thing they did was lose 60% of their adult market. Okay, why? Because people don't have jobs. The pandemic is killing everybody. Right. The next thing they did virtually is lose most of their fitness classes. Again, people don't want to be in a class 
close to each other, sweating and worrying about transfer of atmosphere or fluids. Right. But the positive is the kids' classes have increased. Why? Because parents are being, look, my kids are bored to death. This virtual school training is not working. I got to do something with them. So they want them out there. So now the market that was probably, let's just say five to 6% of the country. So, so let's look at a 20 million person market of which case 5 million were adults is now less than 2 million being adults. Okay. So don't focus on the adults. Adults will come back when the money comes back because martial art training is a luxury. It's not a necessity. In other countries, it's a necessity if it's third world mentality. In the U.S., it's a luxury. Right. So work on the market. Again, your brand would change into the kids' dynamics, helping those kids get more you know, educated into the aspect of letting their brain grow through fitness and training and all that and wait for the door to open. When COVID fades away, money opens up and people have it to come back. So, so the whole thing right now is understanding where the market is, it's in kids, and understanding adults will come back, but when they're financially ready. Now, uh, just one additional question on that, and then sure. Dwayne, you're up next. So um, do you think that, it, you know, I think like in the 80s, everyone wanted to learn self-defense. It was very, they were afraid, you know, what if I'm in a dark alley? Then it got to the 90s and the 2000s where no one had a fear for some strange reason, they didn't think that they could get hurt. Do you think it's shifting back now because of the things they see on TV and the violence in our society that they're starting to get a little bit more self-defense aware? Because I'm getting more and more people coming in, in the adult market that are saying, I wanna learn how to defend myself. I want my wife to learn how to defend herself. And I think that that's a little bit more of the, uh, you know, the, the path we're going down. Well, I, I think the media fuels, listen, bad press sells better than good press. You know, if, if, you know, you saved somebody tomorrow, your headlines would be about like this. You know, if somebody, you know, murdered a family in your town, the headlines would be the front page. Right. You know, so, so because the, the enrage of violence is so high because of the pandemic, which I call bad day syndrome, everybody's miserable right now, because right. if you can't pay your bills, the stress of life increases tenfold. Mm-hmm. So, so the aspect of self-defense is key. I think where we hurt ourselves in the industry is when Steven Seagal and movies like that, Chuck Norris came out, they were like in your face type of realistic fighting. All right. And then all these crazy movies came out where people were flying through the air or beating 30 people at once or, you know, doing these things. So, so the adults are like, that that stuff doesn't real. So it went from very real to non-real. Yeah, now it's coming back again. You know, I think UFC, Dana White, what he did was brilliant. I think UFC opened the doors for adults, but in one aspect of training, right. um, I think as UFC fighters move into the world of self-defense as they retire, it's going to now expand the minds of UFC fighters to say, all right, we don't just need one level training. We need all levels. Yeah, very true. I love it. Those are, and by the way, Tom, we, we talk about golden nuggets that we give away in our show. Um, and I, just to point this out, and I know everyone probably listening right now gets it, but you've given away so many little golden nugget comments, you know, and that, you know, people, if they're listening, they could 
immediately plug it into their school and do better, or at least shift their mindset. So I just wanted to point that out to the listeners that this, this is not just a conversation. There's so many different layers that you're giving out. Um, so thank you for that. So Dwayne, did you, you wanted to go and. Well, I was going to say, I, I, I do like how, I mean, and I've always appreciated this about you is how you frame things um, and the verbiage that you use, because I, because that's one thing, like, even with regards to CDT that I learned was, um, you know, even the verbiage, that you use, like, so instead of saying, you know, um, I, I, I punched, you know, I inserted, um, and, you know, with, with regards to the techniques that you're using and, and I've translated that into even, um, the verbiage on the floor with my students and even the parents with the congruency that you're talking about of, of our brand to make sure that they, that they get that. And, 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 you know, so I, I appreciate that because it, it interwove, it has it, interwoven itself into our school so that when, you know, the, the parents and the students come in, they understand that, um, you know, our, our tag phrase, if you will, is leadership from day one. It's a good tag, right? You know, and so um, everything has to do, everything under the heading has to do with leadership. So the reason that we're doing this is because we want to be a good leader. A good leader does this. They see, you know, the signs. A good leader sees these type of things. A good leader knows how to, you know, uh, lead other people in these different ways of that type of stuff. So um, I, I really appreciate the verbiage because I picked up a lot of that from you years and years and years ago and how important that is to be, you know, to be very succinct with it um, and, and, uh, very direct. And uh, so I appreciate that. Thank you. There's two things I, I want to address. First of all, I, I want to address when people say what they do is better. Okay. Nothing's better. Okay. What you do is different. Now different can evolve into a greater or better thing. But if you want to sell your brand, you sell it as a uh, you don't knock your neighbor and say, well, you know, we're better than them. No, we say we're different than them. And right. how are you different than that? Exactly. The other thing is failure. I've failed in businesses. I took, I lived in an apartment. People don't know this. I lived in a small apartment, saved money for a house, came up with CDT, spoke to my friend, Rich Faustini. I said, I'm not going to buy the house. I'm going to put this half a million dollars into a concept of CDT. And I ran it by him. And he said to me, he goes, Tom, he goes, I'm behind you hundred percent. He goes, you just got to look at things a couple ways. I go like, he goes like, if you lose the money, I go, I'll make more money. I'm not worried about that. He goes, what about the people saying that it's not cool? I go, what? I don't care if it's cool. I yeah, said, yeah. they'll challenge us as you did. You'll come put your hands on me as I do. And we're over. And if you keep wanting to come to my class for five days and want me to pry you and bounce you around like a ball, then you're just wasting your money, you know? So I've entered into businesses and lost money outside the martial arts. So what? I look at what I did wrong. I looked at, I didn't realize what the market was like. I let my greed in my head take over the need for the wanted commodity in business. And I made the wrong decision, but I never did that twice, you know? So people out there, and I say this to school owners, if you failed, if your ad didn't work, if you misspoke on the phone. If you gave the wrong message, clarify it. There's nothing wrong with saying you're wrong. In my business and protection, when a client calls me, and they do, 
when they say one of my guys oversteps his bound, the first thing I say is I'm wrong. How do I make it right? I don't fight with him about who did what and he wouldn't do it. Just correct the problem. So, yeah. so failure is a plus if you channel it and understand it. It's a minus if you keep doing the same thing again and again. Yeah, that's the Japanese concept, right? Um, in order to succeed, you must fail. I mean, that, but in the United States or most Western cultures, failure is that you did bad. I mean, in the, in the Eastern philosophy, failure is a stepping stone to getting it correct, right? And it's just a matter of how we look at it. I hear it from my parents all the time in my school, how my kid's not, do, I have a dad, the kid's brand new. Oh, my kid's not that coordinated. My kid's not doing that well. I'm like, dude, why don't you step on the floor and try the stuff that he's doing? And then you'll see that how good he's doing, right? Everyone has a different idea of what's going on. So I always try to point that out that, you know, listen, sometimes just stepping each day one step ahead is all you need to do. Tom, let me ask you this with regards to, um, you know, gurus in the industry, um, because, you know, look, I, I was out there buying bright and shiny objects left and right. Uh, and, and again, that's one of the reasons that Allie and I wanted to do the, this podcast. I reached out to Allie and I said, look, I want to give back to the industry that's given me so much, um, but I, I don't want to charge for it. I've, whatever we've learned, I want to just throw out and, and let everybody know. And, and it's not that I'm against paying for information because sometimes I think it's very important to do that. But give us your take on, you know, guru. Now, you don't have to name names, but I mean, just gurus in the industry and, and how you feel about all that. Well, look, uh, there's people I respect. There's people I don't respect. And I'm sure people feel the same way as me, but they, they aren't respected by me because what they're telling isn't true. When CDT started, I had everybody, you know, it was a CDT or Krav Maga. They're two different things. One's, you know, special forces mentality and one's legal liability, stay out of trouble. You know, so how do you compare them and make them competition? You know, some of my top schools do them both. But anyway, what I didn't understand in the aspect of, of these gurus is they talk now and they charge big money for consulting I was at their schools. They didn't have 10, 12 people in the class. How are you telling somebody that you have a thousand to 1500 students when I was there for two weeks and I didn't count 150, you know, but you know, they let the so-called originators of the branding and marketing in, you know, the Andrew Woods type of mentality who faded away. They took some of that stuff, recycled it to people that don't know business sell it to them for high level money. And that's okay because you should get paid your worth, but you should guarantee something. Mm -hmm. You pay me this, I'll get you that. And if you can't guarantee that, you know, you should do what I do. I refund people's money. Yeah. Because again, at the end of the day, not everybody is going to pick the right location or have the right way to sell. We have a lot of martial art people that are great instructors but they are horrible business people. Yeah. You know, and there's, and I don't know how you guys work your business. I know, I know you both have both sides of it, but there's nothing wrong with hiring somebody within your business to handle the business aspect. And I'm not talking about the, the aspect of them controlling your money, but if you are good on the floor, stay on the floor. Right. If somebody's good on the phone, leave them on the phone. Yeah. You know? 
And, and I think a big failure in most schools are that people are good martial artists, right? But they may be terrible communicators. They might be terrible teachers. You know, they could be a great fighter. You know, UFC guys, I know a few of them that are incredible in the ring and world champions. But when you do their seminar, it, it's dull and boring. And, and uh, you know, they're not great at getting their point across and so on. And by the way, vice versa. Sometimes people are such great business people, but they're terrible martial artists. So you're right. You could hire to fill the voids within your business. But I think first and most important, you have to be a good martial artist. And this might lead into one of your pet peeves. So um, a lot of martial artists that have gotten awards uh, for uh, ranking in, I <laughs> saw so you roll your eyes a little. So I'm gonna send you a certificate later, Tom. I'm gonna make you a ninth done in my system. And I want you to represent my brand and everything. And I'm gonna say Tom Pateri is now a ninth done in Long Island in Jitsu Center. It's like, how do you feel about the ridiculousness of people seminaring their way to, uh, you know, to becoming masters or now they, I don't know if you ever saw, they, they sell belts nowadays that are actually worn out. There's a company that sells belts in four, no joke. I thought it was a joke, but it's really for sale in, you know, when you wear a black belt and it becomes really worn and it's falling apart, they sell them brand new like that. And you could buy the mastery level belt. It's worn out and torn to shreds, the semi-master belt, which is kind of worn. And I mean, it's amazing. You could buy a belt that's weathered and destroyed to look and appear like you're a master and you've trained that long. So what do you think about getting an award or getting a you know rank that's, you know, kind of given to you and so on? Well, first of all, I want to talk about rank. All right. So when my instructor stepped down, I became the head of the Hondo system. The Hondo system goes up to eight degrees. That's it. You know, if you watch and look on my black belt when I wear it, I only have six degrees. Mm -hmm. I refuse to put the other two down because I said that when my son becomes a black belt, I'll accept the other degrees. If he doesn't become a black belt and he doesn't want to, that's up to him. I don't want the other degrees. I need to extend my training. I don't want just somebody giving me a belt. Right. So, so you, you said about things, I get more things in the mail of honorary degrees, of systems I've never heard, of people I've never heard, only to repackage it, write a nice letter and say, listen, I appreciate you thinking about me, but I don't know you. I said, I can't accept your rank. I never trained in your system, you know, and only to get the, the same thing back again with, no, it'd be an honor to have your name listed as one of our instructors to send another letter that's legal that says, if you use my name for anything, I yeah. will own you in your home. You know what I mean? So, so I don't understand that. You know, I did accept, which I don't use the great De Pasquale family, Mr. De Pasquale, you've not met him when he passed yeah. away. One of my best buddies. Yeah. He gave me a fifth degree in, you know, Hakurio Jiu Jitsu and, and I accepted the plaque, but I'm not a, a Jiu Jitsuan, but he meant something to me. Right. You know, he was a nice guy, you know. Um, I just think that, you know, I was on the road in California. I met a gentleman on the plane. He was 28 years old, and he told me he just got his 15th degree in Taekwondo. Wow. So I did not tell him who I was, and I said, I did not know that martial art ranks go that high. I said, right. I read that the most prestigious is 10th degree. He goes, yeah, but if you're a lot better, you should have higher <laughs> degrees. Yeah. So then I was to explain to him that I read that this is how degrees work, which makes him about 270 years old to get that right. Yeah. You know, yeah. and, uh, you know, and then one of my guys started talking to me, he listened and he asked me who I was. And I told him, and he said, look, I hope you don't think less of me. And he said something very honest. 
He says, look, I've opened up to a lot of schools, a lot of Korean great grandmasters. I can't compete with them. Right. So I give myself a higher degree so people come to see what I do. Right. Well, you know, I, I'm not here to judge. Right. You know? So so I don't think, I think rank's convoluted. Um, tradition is gone, most aspects. Um, but what are you ranking in? If you're, if you're going to get students that come in your class and they're good people and you know they're not exceptional athletes and they do the curriculum and they pass through it, there's nothing wrong with them receiving a black belt. The only thing that's re- wrong with them is them believing that they could go out in a very aggressive area and take on several adversaries that want to hurt them. You yeah. know, so so I, I think things are going to come full circle, you know, not in the next couple of years, you know, but hopefully in my lifetime that people understand, you know, let's start grounding ourselves a little. Let's get purity back. Let's do one sound message of making good human beings, but also let's teach us defense that's real, you know? Right. Yeah. I, I think honestly, what you said there too, is like, you know, people are understanding that, that, that in the example of the guy you met on the plane, that by having another notch on their belt, that gives them more, more credibility. Um, and to some people, I guess to a, a mom who knows no better, Wow, he's a 15th degree, he's better than a 10th. Um, but uh, as you and I both know, there are many people that we know that have umpteen degrees that couldn't fight their way out of a wet paper bag. But then again, maybe their system isn't about fighting. Maybe it's more about the sport aspect or you know, a glorified babysitting service, et cetera, et cetera. So it really all depends on what they're looking to do. And that's why I never really, I say, well, what, you know, people will say, well, I could get my black belt in this school in two years. I said, well, my school it's seven years, but that doesn't make them bad. It just means that I have a different level of requirements, like a chiropractor and a surgeon, different requirements. They're both a form of being a doctor or something. Dwayne, you had your finger up. I know you wanted to say something. Yeah, I was just going to say, uh, you know, look, I, I next week I, I, I leave to go test for my seventh degree and I, I could care less um, about getting another degree or testing for another degree. Yeah. Um, and, and quite honestly, the only reason that I, I want to do it one, I want to honor my instructor, but then this, the second part to that is I want my students to see that I'm still training, that I'm still willing to put myself through the grind, um, right. just like I expect them to do. But one more, like you said, one more degree on a belt does doesn't really matter. I mean, it used to, when I was younger, you know, but it doesn't, yeah. doesn't matter anymore, yeah. you know? Yeah. Um, Tom, with, with regards to the industry, and I know things have kind of changed, uh, because of COVID, uh, let's talk about different shows and like the super shows and all those other things. Cause again, that's, you know, Natma's show was the first time I ever met you and you've, you've been a part of all of these, uh, all these events since then. Yeah. So, so first of all, yeah, Napa was unique. Um, they had a cancellation, and uh, I sent a letter. They let us come. You know, we did our thing. It really catapulted CDT. Um, I've been with, you know, Mike Diller and the, and the Super Show since day one. I think um, Frank Silverman is a great front man. I think he's very good. I think David Wall and the staff behind him are good. Now, Mike's son is, is kind of stepping in. Mike's semi-retired. Uh, but I just was called a couple of days ago. They canceled the Super Show. Now, I do a lot of protection work in Vegas. Vegas is hurting. It's a ghost town. So I don't know if the Super Show was was called off because the distancing guidelines in Vegas is tough right now. Or maybe people don't have the money. But I think it's a smart move. I, I, I just don't think. How do you teach a class if you can't put your hands on somebody? 
You know, how many, you know, lectures can you have on business? Um, so I think 2022 will be exceptional. Um, the pros and cons to shows is sometimes they're tainted. Sometimes because ownership of the show is owned behind the scenes and they own a lot of the speakers. And by the way, nobody owns me. Um, I get flown out there. I do my own thing. A lot of times I get lectured for saying things I say. But bottom line is, like I said, if you ask me a question, I'm going to tell you an answer. Um, I grew up like that. I've been like that. Joe Lewis coined a phrase one time. I was confronted by a guy at, at NAPMA, and we were going head to head. And Joe Lewis, who I became good friends with, stepped in. He says, uh, Tom, can I handle this? And if you ever knew Joe Lewis, I mean, he was no nonsense. Yeah. He says, you're addressing a guy here that doesn't teach the martial arts. And he points to me. I'm like, Joe, I go, he goes, Tom, shh, shh. He goes, shh. I go, he goes, Tom doesn't teach the martial arts. He's not in it to be a teacher. He's in it because he uses it in his profession. He goes, I spent a week with him. He goes, this guy is no nonsense. He goes, so you're talking about what you do in your classroom. He'll show you what he does on the street. He goes, so now sit down. He tells the guy, sit down. We had enough of you. You know, so what he was basically saying, it was a tool of my trade. I wouldn't understand it till years later, but he got me, which many people don't, is the martial arts made me. It has. It made me in who I am in protection. It made me as a human being, along with my parents' great upbringing going to be. And it made me into a savvy, smart businessman because you have to be a black belt in business if you want to survive. And I mean a black belt of the mind. You got to know spreadsheets. You got to know budgeting. You got to know marketing, you know, and that's where you guys come in. You educate people from being white belts in business to being black belts. The shows are good. There should be more. The industry has shrunk. It's monopolized to a point, you know, NAPMA is no longer NAPMA. I think Stephen Oliver, I know a little bit about him, but I think he does some good things out there, you know, but, but Maya's the super show is, is, is really fabulous. It really does the right thing of giving variety. The problem is there's not enough time for you to attend all the things, you know? Yeah. The one, the one problem and why, and by the way, I, I was a guest speaker, I think 10 times at uh, the Maya super show, what eight, eight or so. I just stopped going because it's at a certain point I was promoting my coaching business and my consulting business, but they monopolized that way before I even got to the people. So they, you know, people signed up at the super show, they were marketing their coaching and consulting to them before they even got to the show. And I remember watching parades of people walking by my booth, going into the room to sign up when they came out, I'm going, Hey, would you like to work with me? They're like, I, I wish I would have known. I just signed up already with, with the group, you know, and so that was a little tough for me, but you're right though. It was a little bit controlled when it comes to um, who they, who they hired and who was speaking for them and what, what the new topics were and so on, you know, so it was, it's tough, but uh, I do miss it. It was such a great weekend hanging out with my buddies. It was like going back to a fraternity, you know, and, and hanging out for the weekend, going to restaurants and shows and, and learning some cool stuff. And, and what I would do different down the road. And I may, you know, if my new business takes off, I'm definitely going to do a different type of, of martial art business thing where I would bring in the speakers. I would pay the speakers. But if Ali's on or Dwayne's on, nobody else is on. 
Right. I wouldn't put four people against you. Now, I'm a little different. I like to see how I regulate on who's who. So I always ask to be against the best. Right. You know, I want to be on the same time as whoever they say is the best out there, because I want to see if the market is 1,500 people, how many people show up to the Tom Pantieri seminar. Right. Then you know where you are in the market. You know, and I always start off my any seminar I do with, do you want me to be politically correct or not? Yeah. Everybody's like, no, don't be politically <laughs> yeah. correct. And I tell the truth. But yeah. I tell the truth off of trying to help them, not hurt them. Right. You know, but having this year, there would have been six speakers on each time. I mean, with a market of 12 to 1500 people, I mean, how do you, you know, how do you make a difference? You, you don't, it's, right. you know, right. so, yeah, so I think sometimes overdoing it doesn't work. Especially if you have one, one slot too. And, you know, yep. you're able to just speak once throughout the day and you're up against a Joe Lewis if, if he was around or somebody yep. like yourself. So it's kind of tough. Hey, I wanted to say we, we spoke about a year and a so ago in North Carolina, right? With Toby Milroy. Um, and, and by the way, I want to say to you, Nicole first told me, my, my fiance, Nicole said, tell him I said hi, yes, uh, you know, great. when we were going on. We had a great time that weekend. And um, this is, Dwayne, this is what Tom did for me, which it, this is, he's always been such a great guy. Um, I walked into the seminar and sat down and he was on stage and he literally stopped the middle of his seminar on the stage, talking to the crowd, got off the stage, came over, gave me a hug and said, this guy is a great martial artist for all you guys to know. And then he went on the stage and I'm like, Nicole was like, wow, you maybe are pretty good. You know, like, like oh. she, and I'm, you know, but it was so, I, I, I appreciate you. You know, you're such an awesome guy. So you've always been awesome to me. So thank you for that. Um, we're running out of time. Dwayne, do you have any last questions? Because we could probably do another two hours. But oh, uh, Yeah, definitely. I, I know, uh, Tom, there's probably been some questions that, that you know that people usually ask. Um, and maybe we haven't asked them on this podcast, but uh, if there's are, you know, if there are any of those, let's kind of dive into some of those right now. Yeah, I'm, I'm reading them off my phone. So, so Allie was there when I promised this. I promised I would go on the road and, uh, you know, with my son and I would teach at any school for free and do any seminar they wanted where they could charge for my services and they could keep it all. I just want them to pay our expenses. The pandemic put a dent into that. We're still going to do it. If people would like, you know, us to come out, I'll do either the personal safety stuff. I'll do a CDT thing. I'll do a martial ops. I'll do them all. I'm there for the day, you know, or two days. I don't care. The thing is, I want to come to your industry and I want to get you work to get people to pay to help you pay your rent. So I don't want no money. So, so if people are interested. They can reach out to you guys or, you know, or they can go to TomTeary.com or, you know, or, or I am me on Facebook or whatever. Um, it's my way of giving back. I'm at a phase of my life. Like as I said before, the martial arts has been very, very good to me, you know, and, and I put my time in, but I think people need help, you know, and doing that, I'm, I'm also going to educate them about you too. Um, I know what you're doing here, but listen to me, you guys need to get out there more. Um, you need to, to get on the road a little bit. You know, people should pay for your time and services. You're successful school owners with business brains. All right. You're not there charging thousands of dollars. You can help people because you're making it work. I once had a school. My biggest school was 142 adults. I didn't train anybody but adults. I was a hardcore animal when I trained 
All right. I was the wrong type of martial art guy to open a school because I taught the old school way. Then it worked. Today it won't. Yeah. Right. You guys have found the middle of the road, still quality students, but you still are able to feed your families. So listen right. to me. And I don't tell, you know, like I said, when Ali asked me and I knew you were part of the, I'll, I'll do this for you guys, but I don't attend many of these webinars because they're pigeonholed. I don't like that. Great. Well, thank you. Yeah. I hope this isn't pigeonholed. I hope you don't feel it that way because yeah. it definitely, okay. I don't even know what pigeonhole means. Not just kidding. <laughs> it means they want me to slant it to them. <laughs> no, nah, I, I, nah, thank you. I'm just kidding. Um, but so one last thing you mentioned, and maybe you could help me with this in your philosophy. So you meant like a lot of the schools are losing tra like traditional marts, martial arts is disappearing. Um, I've we've had on John Graydon from NAPMA and, uh, you know, we, him and I love to argue, you know, it's the uh, traditions are garbage, you know, wearing a uniform sucks, you know, this and that. So we back and forth go kata is useless. So what do you think about traditional schools that are still trying to hold on to their roots? Um, do you find a value in that? Do you believe that they're, they're losing ground? Or should they stick to their guns and try to stay? What, what are your thoughts? Okay. So, so again, I, I look at the market. And people don't understand this, but big businessmen, people that are corporate America, very much love the traditional aspect of training. And uh, how do I know that is because much of my clientele asks about martial arts and they want to go old school discipline. But if you're opening a school, you got to see what your community wants. Right. Now, that doesn't mean you can't have both. In the time that I ran my school, we had a traditional class and then we had a, you know, real world class, you know, street stuff. The street was bigger, okay, because people wanted to engage and they didn't want to wear the whole aspect of the traditional uniform. So, so I, I think that it's coming back slowly. I think it's geared very much so to the younger kids and much so to the older generation, you know, the 35 to 45, um, where I think the middle of the road, the 12 to 25 year olds, they want more street MMA, you know, kind of mix it up with the, the fitness and the, and the martial arts. Um, but I, I still think you could do both. Uh, and also they have to understand what the difference is. Yeah. So I, I had a student one time tell me, came from another school. He says, I know a, a four man kata. <clears throat> I said, what is that? He said, if four people attack me, I could take them out because I learned this kata. <laughs> I said, well, I don't think that's what it means. Right. Said, but ask your instructor because he showed me how people would come. I go, what if they all charge you at once? He goes, well, right. we didn't get to that yet. You know, yeah. but that's not what the instructor was saying. As you know, from tradition, he was teaching the angles of four different ways, not right, right. trying to tell the guy he could beat up four people. Right, right, exactly. Uh, so so I'm, I'm all about tradition. Look, I'm a street self-defense guy. I found how to get from A to Z quicker. Right. But you still got to learn A, B, C, D all the way through to do it right. Yeah, awesome. So then would you say that you're the, uh, the, the, the Tim Ferriss then of uh, martial arts? <laughs> Um, I would say I'm the stepchild of martial arts. Okay. <laughs> because, because uh, you know, people, you know, uh, I once got a call from a guy in the head of a big agent's uh, company. I'll leave the name out. And he says, Tom, when you speak, you got to be less direct. Hmm. I said, why? He says, well, he goes, you know, you're, you're not helping the industry. I go, I'm not helping the industry by telling him straight out. 
He goes, well, he goes, you're not, you're not helping our industry because yeah. the people come to our school and challenge us. I go, I don't talk about the, your martial arts. I'm talking about the industry. Right, I'm right. telling somebody that if a bad guy that looks you in his eyes and his eyes roll back and he says, I'm going to kill you, there's nothing wrong with running because he's going to. Yeah. You know? So what's wrong with that? Yeah. Well, you know, it conflicts what we say. We tell people not to run because I'm like, all right. I said, don't invite me back. So. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. At that point, obviously, he doesn't get the fact that running away to come back another day is probably the exactly. best smartest move right so um yeah let's let's close it up man first of all thank you tom i appreciate you when i reached out to you you were like you didn't say what's in it for me um i'm not interested you're like ali whatever i could do for you let me just check my schedule that's so so i appreciate you you've always been awesome i've said it a number of times Dwayne knows you forever i said hey i'm gonna get tom patiri on his show he goes i love tom we've been working together for you know 20 years so thank you for for helping us helping the industry and uh, I appreciate you. So thanks so much. And if we could ever help you, you let us know how we can help you promote that once we get out of the pandemic, how to go around to these schools and, um, and you know, be able to teach for them and help them. So well, we one of the things I'm going to bring up out there is I'm going to suggest that if they can get a bunch of uh, schools together and, and, and we'll do a business hands-on seminar and maybe me, you and Dwayne go out there and let them pay our expenses. All right. You know, it'll be given back a little, but let people get, they'll only get you two if they're with you two. Right. You know what I mean? Right, I would right. say people won't get me till they're around me. And it's the same yeah. thing with you guys. So and I, I would... plan to spread the word. And uh, now I know more about this. I'm going to put it out to my people and see if I can get them on board. You guys are doing something good. It's great. Thank you. Let's Tom, do you remember this? Yeah, it's a collector's item. I know, right? I got sold on eBay for a, like 40 bucks. That's yeah. your son? Isn't that your son in there yeah. where he's like four yeah. years old? Yeah. I got I got all my stuff, man. Yeah. <laughs> if you see how the CDT system has evolved now in corporate America, you'd be blown away. The crisis de-escalation training is, is totally different than the well, construction takedown. Yeah, but think about that. I mean, I just when you said that was uh, pretty amazing with regards to obviously you came up with the word C or the acronym for CDT, compliance, direction and takedown. But then to take that same acronym and then uh, use it in corporate America in the way that you did. Oh, my gosh. I, I thought that was genius. Thank you. Yeah. Listen, so, right. guys, thank you for having me. You're two of my favorites. Uh, anytime I can help you, but uh, spread the word. I'll end it with this to all you school owners. If I can come out there, share some of my knowledge, make you some money. I don't want anything. Just cover the expenses. Awesome. Thank you. Stay well. Take care. Yeah, thanks, Tom. Bye, Dwayne. Bye, Tom. Bye, Tom.